a well-regulated militia be necessary to the security of a free state? The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. Glad that you're with us on the program today. Also glad to know that uh, I think we're all in agreement on the uh, idea of ethical AI being attached to a so-called smart guns. Not really a um, an overwhelming show of support in the comments uh, at... Uh, uh, YouTube in favor of such an idea. That was the uh, topic of yesterday's program. Today, we're going to be taking a look at what's going on at the U.S. Supreme Court when it comes to our right to keep and bear arms. There are a couple of cases that uh, are coming up uh, very soon, actually, for the court's consideration. And we've seen a, a couple of filings uh, in both of those cases. First, we'll uh, we'll take a quick look at a case called uh, Gruel versus Defense Distributed. This is, um, of course, Defense Distributed. Uh, that is the uh, company that uh, makes the 3D printed gun files. Uh, and New Jersey's Attorney General, Grubir Gruel, is uh, suing the company trying to block the dissemination of those files. Well, now uh, an amicus brief uh, filed by 21 anti gun attorneys general has been uh, filed with the Supreme Court, including uh, Attorney General William Tong of Connecticut, uh, who says, quote, the dangers of 3D-printed ghost guns are not theoretical. These unregistered, untraceable weapons have already been seized on the streets of Hartford and Waterbury. Here in Connecticut, he says, we have some of the strongest gun safety laws in the country. We banned ghost guns in 2019, but these statutes can only go so far if we don't have the power to enforce them with online and out-of-state entities like Defense Distributed said, we will continue this fight for as long as it takes to protect public safety and national security. Yeah, at the expense of your individual rights. Uh, and I, I've gotten news for the Attorney General. Now, I don't know what the court's going to do with this case, but I will tell you that uh, there's no way, there's no way to stop the dissemination of these files. Uh, you cannot stop this signal. And whether gun control activists like it or not, the day is here uh, in which it is possible to build a firearm using a 3D printer for not a lot of money and not a lot of time. So the idea of banning our way to safety, well, let's just ban this gun over here. Let's ban that gun over there. Hey, you know what? Maybe we could ban the printing of guns. Maybe we could ban the files that allow you to print these guns. That road is a dead end. It's a dead end. The days of um, uh, supply-side gun controls uh, is really over, whether gun control activists want to admit it or not. We live in a nation with 400 million firearms. We live in a nation of more than 100 million American gun owners. We live in a nation in which we are seeing record-high legal gun sales at the moment. And yes, we do live in a day and age in which technology allows us to do some pretty incredible things, including making a gun from a 3D printer in your own home. And that technology is only going to advance. It's only going to get better as time goes on, whether you like it or not. That's the reality of the situation. Uh, and gun control activists like uh, the Attorney General in Connecticut, who want to try to ban their way to safety, uh, offer the empty promise of security while delivering only limitations on our civil rights. So the response brief from uh, Defense Distributed was due on the 24th. It was due yesterday at the Supreme Court. I have not seen that it has been filed yet. doesn't mean that it hasn't been. Uh, but we are awaiting the response 
from uh, Defense Distributed in that particular case. Once that response uh, has been received by the court, then they will schedule this case to be heard in conference. Uh, now, keep in mind, in this case, it's gun control activists who are the plaintiffs. Uh, and it is Defense Distributed that is the defendant in this case. Uh, unlike the other case we're going to be talking about, NYSRPA versus Cortlet, uh, in which the defendants are the state of New York, basically the state superintendent of police. Uh, and in that case, we do now have a response from the defendants, the plaintiffs, the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association, and several of its members uh, filing suit challenging the carry law regime in New York State. Uh, and uh, earlier this week, the uh, court received the response authored by the Attorney General's Office, Letitia James, and uh, you will not be shocked to learn that the New York Attorney General is arguing that the Supreme Court should simply pass by. Cortlet should not take this issue up, should just leave New York's gun control laws exactly as they are right now. This is from the response brief filed by the defendants in this case. Uh, the petitioners, they say, challenge the New York law governing licenses to carry concealed firearms in public. The law has existed in the same essential form since 1913 and descends from a long Anglo-American tradition of regulating the carrying of firearms in public. Under New York law, applicants who seek an unrestricted license to carry a concealed handgun in public must establish, quote, proper cause. This flexible standard, which numerous New York residents have successfully satisfied, generally requires a showing that the applicant has a non-speculative need for self-defense. Absent such a need, applicants may receive a, quote, premises license that allows them to keep a firearm in their home or place of business or a, quote, restricted license that allows them to carry in public for any other purposes for which they have shown a non-speculative need, such as hunting, target shooting, or employment. The individual petitioners here received restricted licenses. So the state of New York is acknowledging that your right to bear arms in defense of yourself is subject in New York to the determination by the issuing authority, by the licensing authority, that you have a non-speculative need for self-defense. In other words, you're saying, look, I, it's my Second Amendment right, and I may very well find myself in a position where I need to defend myself. I'd like to have a gun if that happens. Well, that's just speculation. Denied. I mean, that's what happens 100% of the time. So then you get into the issue of, okay, well, what is a non-speculative need? Do you have to uh, demonstrate good cause, which is uh, another way of, uh, of phrasing this? And the answer is yes. You have to satisfy the licensing authority before you can receive a carry license. And the average New York resident cannot do that. The average New York resident is not going to be able to show a, quote, non-speculative need for self-defense. They're not going to be able to say, look, I've got this abusive ex who's stalking me, or you know what? Uh, somebody broke into my house last week. They haven't caught the guy. Uh, I'm really afraid that, uh, you know, they might target me again. Actually, if it broke into your house, it wouldn't matter. Broke into your house. They didn't attack you on the street. So, denied. This is, I believe in complete uh, contravention uh, to our Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. But let's, let's take a, another look at uh, what uh, Letitia James, the Attorney General, had to say about this particular case. Uh, in the amicus, or, excuse me, in the response brief filed with the Supreme Court, 
The New York Attorney General says the petition does not present a question warranting this court's review. First, the petitioners and several of their amici are mistaken in claiming a split in authority on whether the Second Amendment applies outside of the home. Like all of the other courts of appeals that have considered restrictions on the public carrying of firearms, the Second Circuit proceeded from an understanding that the Second Amendment does protect an individual right to carry firearms outside of the home for self-defense. And like those other courts, the Second Circuit was guided by this court's recognition in District of Columbia versus Heller that the Second Amendment right is not unlimited and can be subject to state regulation consistent with the historical scope of that right. All right, so we're going to we got more, but let's talk about that for just a second. So Letitia James says, look, the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association, these individual uh, uh, plaintiffs, uh, amikis, which include uh, a number of state attorney generals filing in support of uh, the right to bear arms and self-defense. They all claim that there's a split in the appellate courts on this issue. And there's not, says Letitia James. Every court recognizes that the right to uh, have a gun outside of the home does exist under the Second Amendment. It's an interesting admission. But Letitia James goes on to say that even though it might be a right, it's a right that can be curtailed by the whims of the government. So you have a right to bear arms outside of the home in self-defense. But if the government decides, I don't think your reasons for exercising that right are good enough, then they can stop you from doing it. That's, in essence, Letitia James's argument, which I got to say, I think it's a really bad one. So uh, she continues in her brief, contrary to the petitioner's contention, neither the court below, meaning the Second Circuit Court of Appeals, nor any other court of appeals has sustained a blanket prohibition on ordinary law-abiding persons carrying firearms outside of the home. Well, that, again, that's not actually the question here. It's not a blanket prohibition. The question is whether or not New York state laws deprive the average citizen from bearing arms outside of their home. It doesn't have to be a blanket prohibition if in practice... The law, which theoretically allows people to obtain a concealed carry license, precludes the average citizen from doing so. All right, back to the uh, brief filed by Letitia James. Uh, she writes, instead, several courts of appeals have sustained state law regimes for licensing the public carrying of firearms, and one court that invalidated a blanket prohibition has recognized that New York's laws do not amount to such a prohibition. Well, yes and no. Um, in this brief, Letitia James mentions the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals. So that was a case out of Illinois. And at the time, Illinois did not have a single carry law in the books. It was you, you could not open carry, you couldn't concealed carry. No concealed carry license, nothing. There was just a ban on carrying firearms. And that ban was struck down by the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals that recognized, no, the right to keep and bear arms exists outside of the home. In fact, uh, uh, the judge writing the majority opinion in that case said, look, if you have a right to defend yourself in your 30, 30th floor apartment in Chicago, your right of self-defense, in fact, your need to be able to defend yourself is going to be more acute on the streets of Chicago than it is in your 30th floor apartment. So it makes no sense to say, well, yeah, 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 you've got a right to keep a gun in your home, but you don't have a right to carry a gun for self-defense on the street. The other case that uh, Letitia James uh, tries to deal with in her amicus brief is a case uh, called Wren. And this was out of the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals a couple of years ago. This was the case that struck down Washington, D.C.'s good cause requirement. 
which very similar to New York, uh, required that applicants seeking to obtain a concealed carry license in Washington, D.C., demonstrate a valid special need uh, to obtain that license. In the uh, brief that Letitia James filed with the Supreme Court, here's how she tries to deal with this. Uh, She said, Wren involved a regulatory scheme that was far more restrictive than New York's. And that restrictiveness explains the different outcome in Wren. The District of Columbia uh, law at issue in Wren, which permitted individuals to obtain a concealed carry license if they could show, quote, a special need for self-defense, provided that applicants could meet this standard only by alleging, quote, serious threats of death or serious bodily harm, any attacks on their person, or any theft of property from their person. The D.C. Circuit construed this requirement as imposing, quote, a total ban on most D.C. residents' right to carry a gun for self-defense outside of the home. The court then concluded that, quote, this total ban was per se unconstitutional because it destroyed the ordinarily situated citizens' right to bear arms outside of the home. James says, in contrast, the Second Circuit uh, panel that took a look at New York's carry laws Uh, Quote, was never confronted with this question because it correctly recognized that New York's law does not operate as a ban. Well, that's a difference of opinion now, isn't it? Because the law in Wren that was challenged actually is substantially similar uh, to the good cause requirement under New York state law. James says, unlike the D.C. law invalidated in Wren, New York's law does not limit the types of circumstances that applicants may present in seeking to establish a need for self-defense. It requires only that the applicant's need be, quote, actual and articulable rather than merely speculative or specious. You're still requiring applicants to show a specific reason why they should be able to exercise their right to carry in self-defense because the average person who cannot articulate some sort of special need will not be allowed to do so. And again, if the average citizen is unable to exercise their right to carry, then that right is being denied. That language actually comes from the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals uh, in a case called Young versus Hawaii. That case right now is kind of bottlenecked in the Ninth Circuit. Uh, we have been waiting for months to see if the Ninth Circuit is going to grant an uh, en banc review of that case or if they're going to go ahead and punt this case up to the Supreme Court. Uh, but as things stand right now in the Ninth Circuit, a three-judge panel has recognized that, yes, there is a right to carry. And that if the average citizen cannot exercise that right because the government doesn't allow them to unless they document or demonstrate some sort of special need, then those rights are being violated. All right, back to the response brief from Letitia James here. Uh, Her second argument about why the court should not take this case. She says this case is a poor vehicle for deciding whether the Second Amendment applies outside of the home, a question that petitioners imply is presented by this case. Because the court below proceeded on the understanding that the Second Amendment does so apply, a ruling in petitioner's favor would change neither the result nor the reasoning below. In any event, she writes, the result, uh, excuse me, she says, in any event, the petitioners fail to align facts, establishing that New York's licensing system or licensing regime uh, bans the public carrying of firearms for all but, quote, a small subset of individuals. Nay, again, I'm going to have to disagree here. Because it is a small subset. Oh, excuse me, I'm looking at the wrong camera. It is a small subset of individuals in New York State who are actually granted permission 
to carry a concealed firearm. It is not the general public. It is not legal gun owners. It is not all those who have undergone the uh, training required under New York law. No, it is only those who can satisfy New York's requirement that, again, they are special, that they are different, that they are unlike the average citizen. And therefore, because their circumstances are different than that of the average citizen, they should be granted a license to carry for self-defense. Letitia James can, you know, try to argue this as much as she wants, but the facts are the facts here. And finally, she says the decision upholding New York's longstanding and measured licensing law was correct. The law is consistent with its historical scope of the Second Amendment and directly advances New York's compelling interests in public safety and crime prevention. Uh, the petition should therefore be denied. Well, the court is scheduled to uh, take up this issue uh, in conference on March 26th. So about a month from now. Uh, and when that happens, it's going to take four justices to agree to hear this case. It takes five to win. It only takes four justices, though, for the court to take a case. We know, we know, that Justice Alito, Justice Thomas, Justice Kavanaugh have all gone on the record as saying, I believe Justice Gorsuch too, has, have all gone on the record as saying it's time for the court to start hearing more Second Amendment cases because the lower courts are abusing our decision in Heller and McDonald. We also now have the addition of Amy Coney Barrett on the Supreme Court. So I would like to think that the four votes to take the case are there. I'd like to think that the five votes uh, for the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association to win this challenge are there as well. But I don't want to put uh, the uh, you know, cart before the horse here. Um, we should know if the court uh, uh, takes this up in conference on March 26th. Uh, that's uh, typically Friday is when they hold their conferences. And then the orders from those conferences are released the following Monday. Um, it could be that this court get, uh, this case gets listed, it's heard in conference, and then bloop, the next week, uh, cert is granted or denied. But they could also hang on to this case uh, for a week or more before deciding what they're going to do. This is uh, probably the best opportunity, at least in the near future, uh, for the court to address the fundamental issue of whether or not we not only have an individual right to keep arms, but an individual right to bear arms without, again, having to satisfy the requirements by uh, states like New York that there are some sort of special circumstances uh, that would uh, enable us to bear arms in self-defense. The Second Amendment does not say the right of the people to keep and bear arms under certain circumstances. The Second Amendment does not say the right of the people to keep and bear arms as long as they have good cause, doesn't say the Second Amendment or the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed unless the state of New York really doesn't want a lot of people carrying firearms for self-defense. That's not what the Second Amendment says. It's the right of the people to keep and bear arms that shall not be infringed. And in just a few weeks, the court is going to have a fantastic opportunity to take up a case dealing with our right to bear arms and to apply the same arguments and the same methodological reasoning 
that we saw in Heller, which again, recognize our individual right to keep arms in our home, uh, to recognize that that same right also protects every one of us in our ability to bear arms for self-defense outside of the home as well. All right, let's turn our attention now to today's Armed Citizen story, our good deed of the day, our recidivist report. We will start there with a case out of North Carolina where a man shot by an off-duty New Hanover deputy, as it turns out, no stranger to law enforcement. According to the Star News Online, a man involved in a shooting with an off-duty sheriff's deputy has a lengthy criminal history, 40-year-old Bart Anthony Coniglio, uh, shot by a deputy after he allegedly forcibly entered the deputy's home. Yeah, not the first time that Coniglio has had a run-in with law enforcement. According to the North Carolina Department of Public Safety, his criminal history stretches back nearly 20 years. He has uh, previously been convicted in New Hanover County for DUI, resisting an officer, possession of a Scheduled for controlled substance, larceny, obtaining property by false pretenses, and embezzlement. Uh, between 2002 and 2018. In each and every one of those cases, Coniglio was given probation, never sentenced to jail, no prison time. He also has several upcoming court dates for pending charges against him in New Hanover County for uh, resisting an officer, drug possession, probation violation, drug possession, DUI, giving an officer fictitious information, driving while his license was revoked, and a domestic violence protective order violation. And he's got even more court dates because the North Carolina courts uh, list upcoming dates for Coniglio for 2021 charges, meaning charges that have happened just since this year, of assault on a female and habitual assault. Mm-hmm. Now, in this particular case, Coniglio allegedly uh, forcibly entered a home where a family member and a friend of the off-duty deputy were inside. He then allegedly followed the family member and friend when they ran to an off-duty uh, deputy's home before forcing his way into uh, that deputy's home. According to a news release, a physical altercation ensued that resulted in the off-duty deputy subsequently shooting Coniglio. The uh, off-duty deputy not injured. Coniglio uh, transported to a local hospital where he is expected to recover and will eventually be facing even more criminal charges than he was already when the uh, week began. Uh, Today's Armed Citizen story, I guess a second one. I got to say, this one's a few days old, but I missed this at the time, and I've seen no national media coverage of this whatsoever. Look at this headline. Office employee shoots man during machete attack, Orlando police say. One would have thought that that might get some national news attention, but but no, (laughs) you would be wrong. It was last Tuesday when a man allegedly attacked two employees of a staffing business with a machete before he was thwarted by an armed employee who pulled out a gun of their own and shot the attacker. Happened about 9.30 in the morning at Staff Zone uh, in Orlando. It's a a day labor office, offers short-term employment. Uh, 31-year-old Arane Mitchell Grant uh, came into the business seeming upset, had a large knife, which was later identified as a machete. Uh, Grant then argued with a woman and a man who both worked there, according to ClickOrlando.com, and then went to stab the employees. Officer said as Grant was trying to lunge at the employees, one of the workers then shot him. After the shooting, Grant ran off on foot. He uh, was eventually found with a gunshot wound. Police were able to take him into custody. Uh, Now he is facing charges of attempted attempted felony homicide, aggravated battery with a deadly weapon, burglary with a battery therein, as well as resisting an officer without violence. Both of the employees taken to a local hospital with lacerations. Uh, They are expected to be okay. Again, could have been a far different story if it were not for the presence of that armed citizen... But instead, 
This was just sort of a one-day local news story instead of uh, garnering the national attention that it deserves. Uh, another story, not getting nearly as much attention as it should, in my opinion. Story out of Ohio, where a, a Copley school resource officer saved a, a choking student at the uh, Copley Middle School. Same officer, by the way, who stopped an active assailant uh, a decade ago, back in 2011. Officer Ben Campbell said he saw 11-year-old Ashton Smith jump up during lunch this Monday and realize that the uh, student was choking. He said, uh, first, I thought he was just horsing around with his friends, but then he ran straight to me and he did the universal choking sign around his neck. I saw the fear in his eyes. Uh, and said, in my mind, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm about to die. I'm about to die. He said, I couldn't breathe. He was really stuck. I was thinking about getting water and I just saw him, meaning Officer Campbell. So Ashton runs towards the officer. Officer performs a Heimlich maneuver four to five times. Did several palm strikes on the upper back of the student before the piece of food was dislodged. Uh, Ashton said when it hit at the last second, he hit as hard as he could. And I felt it come out my throat. Officer Ben Campbell said he cried for a minute. I took a good deep breath. He said it was traumatic for all of us. Um, and this, again, not the first time that Officer Campbell has been in the right place at the right time and willing and able to do the right thing. A decade ago, he was uh, able to uh, stop an attack there in the uh, same school district uh, in Copley Township. Uh, an individual who killed seven people, including three children. Uh, a man who was uh, spotted leaving a home, ignored commands to drop his weapon, pointed his gun at officers at the scene, and uh, they returned fire. Campbell said he didn't consider his actions in uh, 2011 heroic. He says he doesn't believe he was a hero. When he saved the uh, student this week, he said, I don't know what it is about me. I'm just an Irish cop, and this is what I do. Well, I, no surprise again uh, to see an officer like uh, Officer Campbell uh, say he is not a hero, but at the very least, Officer Campbell, you were in the right place at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing, and we thank you very much for your very good deed. Now, that is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. We will be back on Monday. I'm going to, uh, we'll be taking tomorrow off so I can uh, help try to uh, get the website going for the weekend, chock full of uh, great Second Amendment stories for you to check out. Uh, in the meantime, don't forget, you can subscribe to Town Hall Media on YouTube. That way you'll never miss a program. Or Bearing Arms Cam and Company on Rumble. Also, Amazon Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, townhall.com's podcast page. Plenty of places for you to find us. Hope that you have a fantastic weekend. We'll see you again Monday. Don't forget to check out bearingarms.com. We'll be posting uh, new content throughout the weekend. But until we talk again, be well, be safe, and be free. Thank you.